This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. The one thing that I feel is a tremendous contribution by Water Quality Association is their emphasis on education. I believe education is critical for those of us in this industry. That's Peter Cartwright, WQA's Hall of Fame recipient this past spring, and one of the featured podcasts from 2020. And welcome to WQA Radio, news and insights about the water treatment industry. Find us at wqa.org on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is episode number 198, and if you're joining us for the first time, we are so glad you're here. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. That's the magic of podcasting. We're publishing this on December 16th of 2020, and we certainly want to wish you and your family a very safe and enjoyable holiday season. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year. Welcome to the 2020 Rewind edition of WQA Radio, where we replay some of the highlights of our podcasts over the past year. We'll hear not only from Peter Cartwright, but also WQA President DJ Shanahan, mid-year leadership speaker Kendall C. Wright, National Groundwater Association President Merritt Partridge, WQRF researcher Emily Kumpel, and NASA researcher Dr. Jill Williamson talking about water filtration on board the International Space Station. Now on to WQA Rewind, highlights of 2020 on WQA Radio. First up, remarks from Peter Cartwright at last year's WQA convention. Peter was the Hall of Fame recipient and spoke during the annual meeting. Thank you very much for this award. I appreciate it. I feel valued and honored to have been a recipient this year. What does WQA mean to me? I think in one word, it's education. Water and water treatment are extremely complex and complicated. Even the, the academic experts are learning something new about water almost every day. No one knows everything. But the one thing that I feel is a tremendous contribution by Water Quality Association is their emphasis on education. I believe education is critical for those of us in this industry. If a water treatment dealer has interchange with a client or a customer, he has to come across as being credible. And with education comes comprehension, confidence, and credibility. This, I think, is absolutely essential in our industry. My mantra has always been to never stop learning because so much new is coming down the pike every single day about water and water treatment. Opportunities are huge and they will continue to grow, in my opinion. Hall of Fame recipient Peter Cartwright from episode number 171. 
Our next segment features Dr. Emily Kumpel with the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She discussed the new WQRF Sustainability Comparison Study, which compares point-of-use and point-of-entry water treatment with centralized treatment in small community water systems across the United States. So the sustainability study is designed in order to answer questions around what the human, environmental, and economic impacts are, so this triple bottom line impact, of comparing centralized drinking water treatment systems and what would be needed in order to invest in those systems in order to bring them up to compliance. So these are ones that are currently not in compliance with the Safe uh, Drinking Water Act. So what's needed to bring them up to compliance in comparison to if you installed point of use or point of entry systems um, in order to meet um, meet MCLs um, and bring systems into compliance with the Safe Drinking Water Act. We are particularly going to be looking at very small community systems in the U.S., so definitely less than fewer than five, those serving fewer than 500 people, um, potentially uh, even smaller than that. And we'll be using case studies of real communities. So we're going to we're seeking out very small communities that are faced with recurring violations of the Safe Drinking Water Act that can be brought into compliance with POUs or POEs and modeling out what the, the environmental, economic, and human costs would be of, um, of installing POUs or POEs versus of whatever might be needed to bring those communities into compliance otherwise. And there are quite a few of these kinds of communities, right, around the, uh, across the country? Absolutely. So how we've actually started this is by analyzing the SIDWIS database. So this is the, the database through the EPA that um, has the information on all of the small um, public water systems, or all public water systems in the U.S. And we have been um, systematically analyzing it in order to understand, first of all, the scope of the issue across the U.S., particularly in small communities. So we've been looking at those communities that have recurring violations. We've been using this to understand exactly what are the contaminants that are leading to those violations. And then we are looking at um, where they primarily are, which states, which regions. Um, and yes, we are finding that there are um, thousands of communities that uh, fit these criteria that have these recurring violations. Dr. Emily Kumpel from episode 179. Next up, we hear from WQA President DJ Shanahan during the WQA Mid-Year Leadership Conference with some timely comments about managing through the pandemic. A few things that really helped us as we were working through kind of a phased approach to drop back from certain areas of our business and then move back into certain areas of our business as time went on. I think the resources that the WQA provided were phenomenal. And I know that many of our members took advantage of those resources. We put a special link up on our website so you knew exactly where to go to get information, the latest that was coming from the World Health Organization, the latest that was coming from the CDC, uh, the, the uh, discussion and talk that we had from EPA Director Wheeler about the absolutely critical nature of our businesses. I don't know about the rest of you, but that was printed out that day and it was added to every vehicle that we had on the road so that if we were to get stopped and questioned whether we were an essential business or not, we had what we needed. 
we are absolutely an essential business. And to hear that from the director of the EPA was certainly comforting to know. And I hope many of us took advantage of hearing his talk, albeit virtually, at the, uh, at the opening convention. WQA President DJ Shanahan during the WQA Mid-Year Leadership Conference from episode number 187. Our next highlight from 2020 is Kendall C. Wright, one of the featured speakers at the Mid-Year Leadership Conference. He spoke about breaking inclusion barriers. You've heard it said people do business with people they know and people they like. I would add to that, they do business with people they know people they like, and people who respect them. And so your challenge is how do you communicate that you're respectful of these differences that represent the demographics on the screen? I don't have to tell you that right now it seems that we're walking on eggshells, that uh, it, it's tough to even engage in a meaningful conversation around human differences, particularly around race and ethnicity. But if you're going to be a leader, you got to get off of the eggshells. You, you, let, let me help you. People will forgive you for mistakes that are made out of ignorance. Ignorance meaning not knowing. But they won't forgive you for mistakes made out of arrogance. Arrogance means not caring. And so the leader has a charge and a commission. And it starts with being willing to take one step out of your comfort zone to step into the learning zone. You can hear more of Kendall Wright's remarks in episode number 190. Next up is a segment from my interview with the president of the National Groundwater Association, Merritt Partridge. And we strongly feel that the private well owner has um, a good thing going as far as having their own well and their own control of their water source. So when we talk about PFAS and funding, we really are trying to promote that private well owner and, and promote domestic wells in general and direct funding, whether it be in the treatment aspect of it uh, or just general awareness and public education. Um, and those funds shouldn't always be directed to local governments, but they can also be directed to um, again, whether it's treatment or private education or education on a private level. Uh, to let the, the well owner know. How do you see WQA uh, assisting coming alongside NGWA and and or NGWA assisting WQA? How, how can our yeah. how can our two associations work together more effectively? Do you think the groundwater um, the flying that we have and the communication we have the teamwork there is is a great first step uh, working together. Uh, on specific topics like PFAS, I, I really, really, even we believe that power in numbers and the more people we can get together to get speak to legislators about a specific topic is advantageous. Um, communication through boards and committee work, you know, there's certainly room for overlap, plenty of it, quite honestly. Um, and there's so many different ways that we could get together and share our assets and our talents and skills and kind of meet in the middle and to have like a common ground for both associations. And I really think that's something that uh, is, is to be looked forward to. Um, we, we do that with other associations well, like the Irrigation Association, et cetera. Um, and, and those are great partnerships and hopefully continue to have those partnerships in the future. NGWA 
NGWA President Merritt Partridge from episode number 188. And we wrap up our show with a portion of my conversation with Dr. Jill Williamson of NASA. This was one of our most popular podcasts. She described what it takes to provide the astronauts aboard the International Space Station with clean water. Humidity uh, is one of our water sources, but of course the other major source is urine. And so that's my specialty, <laughs> fortunately, unfortunately, but it's a, it's a great, great subject to be in uh, where we're reclaiming as much water as we can from urine. And so we had to have a dedicated system to recover the water from urine. And so so that's, that's I, I get to play with pee every day is, is what <laughs> I, I get to claim. <laughs> what an interesting Interesting subject. And again, this is all taking place on the International Space Station. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So we've had our systems basically full force since 2008. Um, and so we've had manned uh, space station for many, many years. And then about 12 years of that, we've had um, the urine processor assembly along with the water processor assembly. So can you take us through the process and, uh, and, <laughs> just, sure can. Yeah. and let us know what goes on? Right. So, so our, at least with, with respect to the, to the, the water recovery from urine, uh, that our system is, is a batch system. So it's basically urine's going to have to sit around for a little bit. Um, and we stabilize the urine, um, to keep things from growing. We'll have kind of that, that, you know, that urea in urine can break down into ammonia, right? That smelly, gassy stuff, right? We don't, we have to stabilize the urine. So we actually use chemicals to stabilize it. Um, so it's pretty corrosive. It's an inorganic acid and an oxidizing agent. Uh, so for all you chemists out there, <laughs> pretty corrosive environment, but it's what stabilizes the urine. And so we, we push that, that matrix through our system and basically we're boiling away the urine. So think of a fancy still and we boil the water away and we'll condense it downstream, but we actually do it under a vacuum condition. Um, so we don't have to heat it up as much. And so if you're under vacuum, you have to put just a little bit of heat and we're basically boiling away the water and we'll condense it and we'll, we'll recover water. Currently on station, we are near 87% recovery of water out of the urine. So we still have, we generate a brine. And so that's really nasty, really gunky stuff um, that we we just, at the moment, will kind of throw overboard. So maybe that shooting star you made a wish on. <laughs> Was that a star or, you know, so we'll end up having to trash our brine essentially at the end of the day, but we're actually looking ahead, trying to, to improve to where we're near 100%. The full interview with Dr. Jill Williamson of NASA is on episode number 175. And that concludes some of the best of 2020 here on WQA Radio. I want to thank WQA's Kathleen Burbage for contributing her frequent regulatory updates throughout the year. And whether you've been listening for years or you've just discovered our podcast recently, I want to say thanks for being part of our podcast community in 2020. We hope we've added some insight or encouragement along the way. Thanks for your participation in the water treatment industry. You're the reason WQA exists. If you're not yet a member, you really need to join us. This is the perfect time to take advantage of all of WQA's member benefits as we begin a new year. Go to wqa.org 
slash membership. We'll take a couple of weeks off over the holidays, and we'll see you again in 2021. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, a podcast of the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on most popular podcast apps. Learn more about water at wqa.org and, of course, learn about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at wqa.org. This is Wes Bleed. So long from WQA Radio. WQA Radio.